1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined, in fact, by a non Leeds fan. It's friend of the podcast, David Anderson. David, how are you doing?
2: Hi, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, doing well, thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to talk football. It's very exciting.
1: Mm. so just for the listeners the the overview what we're going to do today is we're going to have a little bit of a chat about Leeds from a Brentford fans perspective and then we're going to talk about Brentford from a Brentford fans perspective Uh, and then we're going to look at the the race for promotion so we're going to focus on the automatic promotion uh, race between I think probably four clubs I think it will be in the end and then the um, race for playoffs and then maybe you'll have a little think about what the playoffs might actually end up looking like but yeah you've already mentioned that it's good to have football back um how are you feeling about the resumption as a Brentford fan
2: I'm feeling quite positive I think yeah I, th- I think I'm looking forward to it I think we're in a good position and squad looks healthy and raring to go I think morally there's some other issues about football coming back which is a separate conversation but from a football standpoint I'm really excited I think we've done a lot of work and it's uh, it kind of feels like this is a chance to sort of finish off what we started.
1: Do you feel as though the break came at a good time for you or a bad time for you? I think a lot of Leeds fans, I think, would probably say that the break came at a bad time because we had a sort of run of a momentum where I think had we even won like the next couple of games, we would pretty much have guaranteed um, uh, automatic promotion. But how did how did Brentford fans feel about the the point in time that the that the uh, the break came?
2: I think if we were frank, uh, we'd say that it probably came at a good time. We were. I think we had one win in six. It, so it culminated in the game of Griffin Park against Leeds, actually, the one-all draw. Um, that was a tough game and that took a lot out of us. We didn't actually win for five games after that. We picked up a win in just before the football was closed against Sheffield Wednesday. So we drew, we were conceding every game, we didn't have a clean sheet. And it was kind of getting to that stage where things were going against us. And bar a big win against Sheffield Wednesday, which was 5-0, and it was a great performance and probably our best in a while, if you look at the period it was the break probably came at a good time actually if I'm honest. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking now at like Birmingham a draw against Birmingham a drawing drawing against Rovers draw against uh, a loss to Luton a draw against Cardiff and then and then that big win against Sheffield Wednesday. Um in terms of the run in that you have how how are you feeling about that? Are You confident that you you'll be able to put a good run together?
2: I am and I'm not. I mean, I I I think I think I am. I think we've got a couple of tough games early on, and then the rest should take care of itself. Bearing in mind everyone stays healthy through these first couple of sort of big matches, um, our, our run in's middling. I think we've got sort of an average run in, sort of position wise. If you're looking at the table, um, I think average positions are 12th, who we need to play. So the run in, yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I think once we get once we get the big guns, Fulham and West Brom, out of the way, the rest. Uh, sort of middling teams and teams in the sort of lower, lower relegation battles, which we should have enough to see off. So not too worried about the run-in, but that could change after the first couple of games and it could be terrifying very quickly.
1: Mm. I think one of the one of the criticisms we've had of Brentford in this pod during this season has been that you have quite a poor away record. Um, and you'll know that a lot of the noise coming out of the Bundesliga is that, uh, that a sort of home field advantage seems to... Uh, be diminished although I think there's there are um, aspects to that that need to be um, qualified because I think away win upsets is actually down in the Bundesliga at the moment there are various ways of actually taking into account the strength of the teams who are being involved so it's not quite as simple as to say well there's there's fewer people losing um, uh, sorry fewer people winning at home Um, so take that with a pinch of salt but in terms of the resumption does does something like that how does that make you feel are you are you nervous that you'll maybe lose your home advantage or are you are you um aware of the fact that it could mean that you are stronger given the given the away uh, advantage that you seem to have
2: yeah there's a couple of things to pick up on that i, I think the the bundesliga stuff is quite noisy everybody's saying that uh, home advantage have just been sort of uh, evaporated it's not it's Definitely not the case. It's far too early to say that. You have got to look at the strength of the teams, whether they should have won anyway. Yeah, yeah. Looking at the outset of these matches and probably the odds that they went off at. And it's not as clear as home advantage gone away is the new is the new norm of football. So it's not it's not as clear as that. But mm-hmm. another way to think of it, I guess, is um, from a Brentford perspective, if you're looking at what we do away and from probably what we do at home. I think if you're looking at teams that are sort of possession-based and actually have lots of patterns in their play and they are actually quite tactical and there's a lot more there's a lot more system about what they're trying to do on a pitch, that is probably harder to do away from home when you do have opposing fans in stadium. So it's probably something we'll probably talk about in a bit. But going away from home and having less fans in the stadium might work in Brentford's favour in the sense of it's actually easier now. There's no, there isn't the fans to get on top of you. It might be easy to play out some tactical ideas that you've had It will be. It will just be. There'll probably be cleaner contacts. You won't have somebody shouting at you. the 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 whole idea of being away from home is probably not as fearful as it was prior to this break. And I think fans probably have a bit to do with that, actually.
1: Hmm. It may be interesting to talk a little bit about the 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 sort of tactical edge of of Thomas Frank, because it's something that you've talked about before on our um, on our channel. I think from from memory what you've told me is that Frank um, basically sorted you out defensively when he came in Um, so could you talk us maybe through that a little bit so that, that we have a sense of of what he's actually achieved at Brentford
2: yeah so this the moment Frank came in I think he was pretty quickly uh sort of last season he he just identified for a while that we conceded far too many goals. We were far too open in the pitch. We It was too easy to sort of get good transitions against us. There was space everywhere. We just weren't a compact, good defensive unit. And he immediately set about sort of reversing that. Moved to a three-at-the-back system, which changed how we thought about defending and actually made us as a team think we're not going to get anywhere unless we stop leaking goals. So that was a really important phase, uh, sort of when Frank came in, and he's he's just sort of he's extended that into our into the mindset of the club. So we've always been a really good attacking team. We always will be one of the best. But if we can actually get these players to focus on defending as well as uh, attacking, and when they don't have the ball, we we're quite dangerous. And that's why you've seen us do so well this year. The um the last the next phase of this defensive uh, sort of rebirth is doing it when you've only got sort of two central defenders and a defensive midfielder. And that's what we've been quite good at this year with Norgaard coming in, sitting in front of the defence. And it was it was going really well. You know, we signed Pontus Janssen. He's been huge in how we've uh, developed as a team defensively, sort of from set pieces, from crosses coming in. All of the, the sort of things we were weak at before, we've actually turned into one of the better teams in the league now. So we're improving there um the problem we've had though is the drop off when Pontus Jansen isn't in the team that's um that's it's quite significant it's quite obvious to see just in open play and and from defensive situations that now without someone as good as Jansen in the team we we kind of sort of regress and it's just clearing clean sheets and and the chances we concede expected goals the goals the sort of chances against all of these go up when Jansen isn't in the team so if anything happens to him, it might be that there's another tactical tweak that goes on from Frank to get us back to where we were before. But we, I mean, it's the, the change has been startling. We've gone from one of the worst defensive teams to one of the best, and he's had a lot to do with that. Uh, Frank, ideas-wise, Janssen's in execution. And the next stage might be, how do we are we too reliant on Janssen? And how do we actually get back to being sort of a good solid unit without him there? So in case anything happens to him again, because he was out for a while and you could see the drop-off. As soon as we lost him, we were a far weaker side at the back and it showed in clean sheets and sort of shots against.
1: That's really interesting because um, just talking about being reliant on players who uh, you miss... I would have thought that, that Brentford would have had because you have that culture of moving players on I would have thought that was um something that you would maybe be be able to do but perhaps that's simply the case that it's simply the case that you those players that you tend to move on tend to be more attacking players I don't know um because just looking at the front three that you have at the moment that's easily the best front three in the league um with with Ben Rama and Ollie Watkins and um, Brian and Bemo um do you, do you think that comes into it? Is it, is it? is it the case that Brentford are better at def, uh, developing attacking talent? And, and so when, when someone like Jansen comes in, it's a slightly different kettle of fish.
2: Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. I think it's it's probably easy. I don't want to say easier. It's probably easier to to sort of develop uh, attackers in that sense. Yeah, sort of the the factory line of attackers than it is with defenders. Hmm. I think defending is yeah we we don't really know so much about defending, we're still learning massively about it, and how much uh, an experienced defender changes when you bring in a sort of weaker younger defender how much your defense how much you lose as a team is it still seems it's quite it's quite vast and mm. uh, there's quite a big gap there so I think we're still i think what we were basically bad at defending, we got better at defending, and I think we are still learning at how we got better at it, and we don't quite know yet, and it's not as simple as. Um, sort of training some of our other weaker players up to that level. It's more, it's more just their experience. I don't think you can, I don't think you can just sort of switch that in just yet. I think we're still, we're still looking for that quality backup, and um, yeah, we're not quite there yet. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I, I guess you're much more likely to take a. A punt on someone like Ben Benrahma than Ethan Pinnock when it comes to when it comes to being a Premier League side, right? So I, I suppose that probably explains it as well. But let's get back to that front three because I think there's there's a lot of us who are Brentford stands who I mean I, I'm just thinking anecdotally amongst my my Leeds fan friends um, we we have a big I think we're we're very high a lot of us who like this. The, the data side of things who like the tactics side of things are very high on Brentford. And and we sort of say, we, we sort of look at that team and think they should be easily getting promoted. Um, and then I have a lot of Leeds f- friends who just say, you know, Brentford are hugely overrated. Everyone says that they're great. And then whenever they play us, they're never anything special. Um, why do you think that's the case? What is it about Brentford that, that sort of um, takes that that edge off them where they have, the, they have the players and they have the manager probably to be able to do uh, a little bit more, but they don't ever seem to do it?
2: Uh, that is a good question. I think if I knew the answer to that, I think they'd probably hire me and have <laughs> me in <laughs> within the um, within the circle. I think there's, I think a couple of years ago, it's probably quite easy to tar every season mm. with the same brush. So if you look at yourself, two, quite quickly, two seasons ago, you were a very different team to what you are now. Um, and it's probably similar with Frank and Bielsa, the, the sort of time span of when they came in and how much the team's changed. So it's quite easy to still describe mm. Brentford as how they were under Dean Smith prior to Frank coming in, when it's it's really chalk and cheese in terms of performance. So when you look at us this year, and probably the second half of last year and this year, you, you sort of still think of a team, and it's quite easy to drop into the sort of assessment that this is a team that's going to fall away, they're <laughs> just attacking and they're not very good. But we've been a really good defensive team for quite a long time now. And uh, people are only starting to pick up on that. The numbers people probably saw it for quite, it happened quite quickly and it got it got really good over a long period of time, but it's more sort of set it's more seeping into the the sort of mainstream narrative now that this is actually a good all round team, it's not just an attacking flaky team. So probably the ones that are assessing us in that sense that we're gonna fall away and there's not it's just a bit airy fairy are still caught up in probably two years ago Brentford instead of a more current version of Brentford.
1: I could talk about Brentford for the whole show. It's great having you on, but we should we should move on and talk about other things. First let's talk a little bit about um your take on Leeds at the moment. How are you feeling about Leeds going into the into the um the final run of the season?
2: Uh yeah, from an outsider I think um yeah, you've got it all well, it's it's kind of on a plate for you. You've got a great lead. Um you're looking comfortable. The closest team to you is Fulham. Uh, we might go on to Fulham in a bit. Uh, you've got a good run in. I think your tough fixtures are really early on. You get those out of the way and um, it should be it should be sort of plain sailing, really. The only thing that can probably defeat you is yourselves. Um, <laughs> if I was to ask you what... If you thought about Ellen Road and you thought, what what's the toughest thing about playing at Ellen Road? You'd probably say fans. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not going to be there, so that in itself gives you another leg up. Like fans sort of getting on the players' backs or causing, uh, yeah, causing issues within games or the nervousness that they sort of propel onto players. They're not going to be there, so that's another advantage you might have. But yeah, I, I don't see, I don't see you having too many troubles. I think your lead's too strong, and I think you are too strong a side to let this slip this time. And um, you should. You should bring it home, so to speak.
1: You were at the Brentford draw, yeah, at home for you guys.
2: Yes, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: What did you make of Leeds that time around? Because obviously last season we had a really poor showing at, um, at Brentford. So, um, what was what was your take on that? Because that was a, I think for a lot of Leeds fans, that was a very defining game um, because we were in that slump, and I. I I drew up a rolling um, five five game rolling xG average for for us, and you know that that was sort of really the nadir. Just before we played Brentford, was sort of the lowest we were, um, and and that seems to be a, a sort of point at which everything turned around. So, what did you make of Leeds on that day?
2: Yeah, what you were saying, Leeds were on a sort of weaker run, and Brentford were actually looking really strong at that point. And we, all Brentford fans, were really confident going in, and. We thought it was our time to sort of do Leeds again and come out on top, and um, we got a hell of a wake-up call. Like it was, it was, it was as if Leeds arrived and said, "There's no way this team is steamrolling us," and we we were really a shadow of ourselves. We hardly touched the ball. We were we were gifted a goal with sort of the Casillas error, but other than that, I mean, the ball was in your third uh, maybe five or six times. It was a really weak performance from us. I think we we just Leeds are the only team that we kind of. We kind of sort of alter our game plan a little bit. We don't go out as much as we would another team because there is a lot of respect there, and Frank, Frank sort of eases us back. But on the day, I mean, poor Josh De Silva. There was one tackle on him from Calvin Phillips, and I think it was just his welcome into men's football. It was he was just he was out for three games afterwards. It wasn't that it was an aggressive, overly sort of dangerous tackle. It was just a wel- it was just welcome to the men's game, and he just cleaned him out. And I don't think he recovered for that for a while. Um, some of the Harrison was insane that day. Um, just. Whatever he is eating or whatever they're feeding him, they need to give to a few more, some <laughs> of our players. He's he's just relentless. And I think if you think about someone who gets a lot of stick, who isn't that successful with what he does, he just keeps going. And he's a constant threat. And the amount of crosses that came in that we had to defend, it, w- it really was an onslaught. We couldn't get any sort of play in the middle of the park to feed our wide players. And we were really relying on you to make mistakes. And you didn't make any at the back, really. You were quite composed. But... As a 90 minute performance it was it was really strong and I th- I think we were really lucky to come out of that with a draw and uh you yeah you re- you really if we were honest you dominated us on the day.
1: So you think on paper Leeds probably have the best run in they should probably be coming out on top in, in these nine games.
2: Yeah, I'd say so. I think you're yeah, you've got an easier run in. Out of all the playoff sides and sort of the top 6, your run in's looking the looking the sort of easiest. It, it's it's just you guys, I guess. It's 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 you to mess it up, really. Now, I don't think there's any teams that can really halt you. It's just whether it's whether the pressure or or whether sort of whether your finishing lets you down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Patrick Bamford, I suppose, who's running something like 11.7 goals under his xG. Yeah, right, which is. Fairly historically, wild. <laughs> in terms of Leeds this season versus Leeds last season, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you noticed any big differences? Because I think um, there's a lot of Leeds fans who just sort of think the, the the wave of Bielsa has just been a lovely upward trajectory and it's been plain sailing. But um, I've done a lot of during the break. I've done a lot of watching of us during our first season. It just seems to me that the the gap between where they were in the first season and where they are now is just incredible. So I wondered if, uh, as an outsider, whether or not you have any thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think last season, uh, you were, it was kind of Bielsa stage one and you were a good side and you could see immediately that he'd done a lot of work on the training field and you you'd improved a lot, but this year it's gone on to another level. If you think about sort of the injuries you've had as well, like tactically this is a team that uh, yeah, you can it's just obvious to see the player the improvement in the players This just gone on to another level this year. And you've you'd think losing someone like Pontus Janssen that it'd be a struggle to to sort of move on from him but you've actually got better defensively uh in attack what did you lose you lost roof but you're probably better in attack than last year as well i mean it's it's just been an evolution um you lost the ex brentford player as well i've forgotten his name for a second for sure for sure yeah he's been out for ages as well but midfield you've looked dominant i mean players like dallas dallas is just improving all the time there's so many good clips of him. If you just sort of look at his play, he'll pick the ball up in like a left back spot, and then sort of three seconds later, he's on the edge of the opposition box. It's, there's just
1: shooting, and it goes wide.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll leave his end product out, but it's just getting up at <laughs> the pitch. There's there's um there's an urgency about you. There's a there's a, the quality level has just gone up another notch, and you mm. sort of watch the minutiae of the team. It's it's yeah, it's quite scary to watch, and it's ov- quite obvious you're looking at a Premier League like a mid-table Premier League team operating not not a second tier sort of fodder it's actually it's actually quite a high unit high quality unit that's playing these games
1: yeah I'm just looking actually just looking at the um uh, Ben May- May- Mayhew's expected goals table from the point at which the season um was cancelled yeah and um, I, I should I should have talked about this with Brentford really because Brentford are in second place in his in his table yeah, yeah. um a full 16 points below what they are now um which is below Leeds, who are a full twenty two points below where they are now, and it's really interesting looking through this table because I think there's a lot of teams, there's a lot of teams in here who play sort of quite stodgy football, who are hugely overperforming, um, and then there's, you have teams like Leeds and Brentford, I think, who are a little bit more uh perhaps uh, creative um in in many respects. Even teams like I mean Stoke Stoke should be thirteen places higher than they are according to Ben Mayhew's table. Um, Wigan should be in the in fifth place, which which seems mad, but that, that doesn't really help us. But we've got teams like Bristol City who should be second from bottom, who are 16 places higher than they yeah. should be. They've yeah. they've picked up 29 29- points more than they should do um and then you have teams like nottingham forest as well and swansea all of these teams are quite stodgy teams who it appears get a benefit from playing in the way that they do um so i guess i wanted to i wanted to talk a little bit about about the teams in the um in the run-up now to to the promotion race who are just sort of overperforming because of um because of sort of defensive stodginess versus teams like Leeds and Brentford who are playing really creative, exciting football and actually seems as though that's losing um, them out on points. But any thoughts on this or do you think it's just noisy in this season? No, no,
2: I think there's huge over overperformance. I think you picked up on Bristol there. Bristol, how they're sort of in this playoff hunt, I'll never know. They are yeah, I mean, shots wise and what they're actually conceding, they they're just a massive overperformance. And the worry for other teams is they've had a break now, and um, you'd, if if the, if football continued in one sort of seamless go to the end of the season, you might see them drop away. But they could come back and do that again. And these last nine games, we could see extreme extreme results for them. And they they push themselves and they they sort of solidify themselves in the playoffs. So that yeah, very lucky side and. They might continue to get lucky. Uh, yeah, you got you got to feel sorry for some of the teams like Preston. Preston have been a solid team; they're probably around where they deserve to be. But after this break, how do they perform? A little bit of bad run, and they could drop completely out of the equation. But yeah, th- your Forest, Bristol, these are teams that you really need to really need to look into detail of what they're doing well and how they've actually got their points. Forest have been they've been really solid and they have rode their luck defensively, and they aren't they don't concede. I think you can see lots of big chances, but at the other end, they've been really clinical with what they've had and you'd expect that to drop you'd expect that to drop away, but has this break given them a lifeline and can they just get away with that for the last nine games and find themselves up there? Yeah, I'm I feel I don't I don't like to see that that wild luck get them up there, but it is it is football, it's a random game, isn't it?
1: Do you think that there is something to say that, you know, playing solid defensive football is 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 probably less risk of um, risky than playing um, more attacking creative stuff then
2: Uh, the defensive side of football yeah absolutely it's obviously it's much easier to set up a team to defend instead of going out to win games if I guess at the start of a game you've got a point on the board you just ride your luck throughout the game and see what you can do defensively and then try and pick stuff off pick games off 1-0 or 2-1 and that's it's been Forrest's blueprint all the way through. They've had Graben, who is that sort of player that can score one goal from one chance or or get a couple from just a couple of chances. He has got that in him and you need to have a good striker to, to execute that defensive system. So they maybe we're under... I mean, because because defending is uglier, you sort of, maybe we we are a bit flippant of that, that style of play. But if teams are up in the table, you only need to do it for a season and a sort of certain number of games and it can get you there. But... Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big the biggest fan of it. It it is much harder to sort of set up a team to win the ball high up the pitch, create chances like that and then or dominate possession and actually try and go out to win games. It it is much harder to do that, but yeah, who are we to who are we to tell these managers how to coach <laughs> their sides?
1: <laughs> In terms of this final mini season that we're having, if you compare the table at the end of those nine games with the table now, how different are you expecting it to be? Do you think that it will be unrecognisable?
2: No, no. I've, the more I look at it, and I, I don't see too much changing. I can't. I, I think it kind of has settled into its pattern. The only, the only big changes I can kind of envisage is if something goes drastically wrong for West Brom, and we see we see a good run from Brentford or Fulham put pressure on that second position. So. The playoffs, I guess, are still quite settled. I, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think there'd be too much change there. From outside the playoffs coming in, there's a couple of teams that I would keep an eye on. One of them would be QPR. I think QPR's run in is is really good. I think as a team, QPR have got the goals in them to sort of really make a charge. What it's going to come down to with them is defensively whether they can, yeah, whether they can sort of ship up their ideas at the back. They, they're just Warburton teams are known for being poor from set pieces. They're awful mm. on the counter-attack. They can't do a transit. They're just a weak defensive side. So they'll if they can get any of that sort of sorted or they get a bit of luck there, they'll have the goals in them to really mount. It's just whether the other teams drop away. But other than probably QPR or maybe Millwall sneaking into the playoff contention, I don't see too much changing. I think it's it's probably taken mm. quite a settled position as it is now.
1: Yeah, it's crazy that QPR are are only really six points off Um the playoffs and in fifth, thirteenth place. You know, like I guess you, if they can put a good, good run of wins together, maybe, maybe win six or seven, then you'd, you'd give them a chance of, of, of breaking in there. But you mentioned West Brom, I think it'd be good to, to talk about them yeah. for a little while. Um, because we're going to talk, um, we're going to talk about the, the race for automatic promotion. Um, we've talked about Leeds, we've talked about Brentford. Um, before we go on to that, do you think there's a chance that Brentford will break into the top two?
2: There's a slight chance, yeah. I mean, there is. It's kind of reliant on West Brom falling away, I think. Um, We made a couple of additions in January which have strengthened our squad. I think prior to... In the big games earlier, before football was grinded to a halt, it was... Especially the Forest game, it was really notable and there's been a few others that we played. Frank has been reluctant to make substitutions because of how much, I think... Just that sub weakens the first team, and I think Leeds have this issue as well. You think they don't make subs because they just don't like doing it? It's actually because the first team is so strong that what you take away when you bring on a substitute, um, what you lose from that first team when you make a change. So where we've added a couple of ch- uh, a couple of new players, the, the two lads from Oxford, Fosu and Baptiste, we could we do have a we do have a stronger bench now. So we could see Frank um, make some changes and actually change some things and get us through to the end. So I, I like the squad. Sh- I like the squad depth. Now we're we're a bit stronger than we were prior to the break. I, I, we're just dependent on West Brom falling away. Basically, I think that's what it's going to come down to. Mm.
1: So let's talk about West Brom then. Um, how do you feel about them as a team? Because. Uh, you know i think you know most people would agree that west brom have probably slightly over performed this this season um but but not too much uh, ben ben mayhew's got them a place higher than they should be four points higher than they should be um a bit lucky on both um on their Overperformance in terms of um, XG and uh, overperformance against um, XG against, um, but pretty much a, a roundabout where they they deserve to be. So what have you made them this season? I think a lot of people would see them as the team who have the sort of individual standout players, um, but are fairly solid defensively as well. And between those two things, that's a pretty good recipe for for doing all right.
2: Yeah, West Brom lots of individual magic there. They're, they're an okay side. They're, they have overperformed, though. I, I don't think they're quite as good defensively as as um, others do. I, yeah, they've they've just done well at sort of putting it together, really, haven't they? I think they had a good run with Pereira, Diangana, and Robson Canu, and sort of, yeah, they, I think they just put a few teams of the sword early on in the in the league, and a decent run, but I'm not I'm not massively keen on West Brom I I think they're a far weaker side than Leeds and I think they're a weaker team than Brentford and probably probably weaker than Fulham as well I think they've just their individual talent has got them where they are I, I don't think it's a system they brought Sawyers from us in the summer and he's been he's been kind of their deepest player alongside Livermore as like a double pivot and it's it's worked okay but I it doesn't it hasn't really set, it hasn't set anything on fire I'm not, I'm not ecstatic about it and I don't think they're that good I don't think that as a screen with two players there is that good they've, they dominate the ball they're good on the ball but you get at those two and then you get at that back line and um, there is some joy to be had there I think they've just their individual quality on the other end has, has dragged them up this table and um, put them in with a shout of
1: automatics I'm just looking at their, their run in now so they've got you obviously second match match day of the this, of this season um, and they've got Fulham as well um, but beyond that, um, it doesn't look too much. Too there's not too much in there in their final run.
2: Yeah, they've got a good run in, haven't they? Not yeah, great.
1: Looks 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 fine on paper. Um, I guess the, the conversation about about how well West Brom do is, is, is tied up with the questions of how well Brentford and Fulham do. And I, 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 suspect. I mean, it comes down to whether or not Brentford can pull off a really nice run of results yes. in, in the in the last nine games. I don't. I personally don't see Fulham getting through their run of games with enough points to upset the the difference between the top two and them. Um, and I think you know it, it relies on both. That would rely on both West Brom and Leeds having a worse performance that, that over nine games than they've had all season, versus Fulham having a better pretty much better results for over 9 games than they've had all season as well so between those two i think it's fairly unlikely that, that that will happen um but yeah let's let's just have a look at the 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 West Brom side um in terms of lineup um because you know they've got they've they've got a team that's sort of stacked with talent as well um Maybe, maybe not. Towards the end of the season, they were they were missing a few players, but yeah. you know, Mateus Pereira is a, is a fantastic player. Grady Diangana from West Ham. I guess he has he gone back on loan. No, I
2: think they're going to have him for the rest of the season. Actually, because he was injured for a while, but he, I think he just sort of got back to fitness as um as the halt started, and I think he's I think he's signed ready for the rest of the season. Yeah.
1: And then you've got players like Filip Kravinovic, uh, Romain Sawyers, who you all know quite well, Kyle Bartley. And
2: remember they bought Grzycki as well from Hull. Yeah, there's um, exactly. another addition there too.
1: So they've got, on paper, so like wide attacking players that can just tear any team apart. So they've certainly got a, a decent team on paper. But what do you make of, of Slavin Bilic? Um, you've already said that you're not particularly keen on, on, on West Brom. But what do you make of his uh, West Brom side?
2: Bilic is... Yeah, I mean, he, if you're trying to put, if you're trying to find his level, is he is he a lower Premier League sort of star manager, the the lower quarter of the table? I wouldn't put him in the top half. I wouldn't put him in the top sort of six, top five. So I think he's probably at his level. like sort of top of the Championship, bottom of the Premier League at at, at most. I don't think there's anything he's doing exceptionally tactically that that is making me stand out. I think he's got. Which we've addressed, like some really talented players, like Pereira is clearly a Premier League player. Dean Garner is also a Premier mm-hmm. League player. Uh, Austin, um, how robson cano There's there's yeah. Premier League players dotted around there, and I think it probably makes your job a lot easier. But what yeah, what I'm seeing with them out, out of the ball, uh, out of possession, I'm not not massively excited. And yeah. uh, sort of individual talent, I'd say, has got them through rather than him being any tactical any sort of tactical genius. I think.
1: And I think that, I mean, this brings us on nicely to Fulham as well, doesn't it? Because I think most people would agree that the same is probably true of Fulham, um, a team who are sort of stacked with talent, but um, in many respects, uh, the, the, they don't have the manager to, to necessarily go with that, um, more so, I think, than, than West Brom. And I think most people would agree that that Fulham have sort of lucked out um, a lot of the time d- during this season. Uh, again, they're, they're a team that have a have a... Pretty um, pretty impressive front three. Um, you, you've got Ivan Cavaliero, I think we would all agree is Premier League quality. You've got Mitrovic, Premier League quality. Um, players like Anthony Knockart, um, who has, has just um, traditionally been quite good at, at this sort of level. Bobby Reid, Harry Arter, Tom Kearney, uh, Michael Hector at the back. Um, Fulham are, for, are on, on paper, a good side, but they just don't ever seem to have managed to play uh, the way that that, that 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 their team sheet suggests they probably should. So, what are your thoughts on Fulham and Scott Parker?
2: Uh, Parker, yeah, I'm address Parker quickly. That was a it was a big move to keep him there and sort of trust uh, bouncing back in one go with such a rookie. Uh, yeah, I mean you can you can see him learning on the job. He has as the season has gone on, you probably can see that he's improved and they are they have improved. Um, Hector coming in in January was a big. It was a big move for them they got better defensively but i think in the top six they were probably the weakest defensively record wise i don't think they were very good sort of expected goals wise um yeah parker's a parker's a gamble i think there's never been a faster or easier
0: way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
2: Seeing how they've got, they, they're right in contention. So at the moment, you could say it's a gamble that's paid off. They're going nine games in. Has, has he done what he's been expected? Yes. I, w- I wouldn't have thought they'd have thought he could test the top two positions. Maybe, maybe they did think that, but I think they'd have thought they'd been around the playoffs and see what they can get away with by. Um, as the as the season came to the end, uh, it's weird. I think if you look at Fulham's running, I think they actually have the hardest running out of some of the top six teams. I think they um, they've got a mm. lot of teams to play. They've got to play Brentford. West Brom, Fulham... uh, Sorry, Leeds as well. They've got a tough, tough run in. I I think that's just explained in their uh, points. They've got six... I think they're six points ahead of Brentford, I think. Or is it four? Um, Mm. There's a little gap in Brentford. I think that's just explained by how weak the opposition they face so far. is. Brentford have played Leeds twice already, we're going to play West Brom again. Most of the sort of stronger teams we've played. So you level those off, and I I don't see too much in points between Brentford and Fulham. Um, But Mm. they they're in a good position. They could, it's weird. I I sort of think of them as they could be kingmakers in this. If they get good results against Leeds, Brentford and West Brom, they could really chew that gap up. And it could be that they do sneak into the automatics. It's not, it's definitely not out of the question, Um, but it also could be that they drop away and they're actually ones that are sort of pushing the bottom player positions like that sort of sixth spot. If they lose the games against the people around them, it's, it's really hard to call, but yeah, not overly excited by Parker. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at him and think he's done a great job, but it could be that it could be that this team does it does sneak its way up there. So maybe we judge him at the end.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting that you say about that because in many respects, you know, I think a lot of Leeds fans are sort of looking at the results that Fulham pull off in their first couple of games or against teams like West Brom. You mentioned. they ought to play Nottingham Forest um, away which is never an easy fixture for anyone as well and I think a lot of Leeds fans are sort of thinking if we can just sort of keep solid keep plugging away on the points and then just let Fulham lose in those games then then everything will be done I mean the first game of the the season um, or the mini season is is the Brentford fixture which if Fulham come out of there losing um, you've suddenly got you know Brentford a point behind Fulham Fulham 10 points off the off the top two and it From there, it sort of pretty much looks, pretty much looks game set and match for for at least the automatic places, and that could be that could be over and done with before any other games really kicked off um, in in the the mini season. So yeah, it will be really really interesting to see there. But maybe just a little chat about Fulham tactically, very stodgy football, lots of sideways passing, as the cliche goes. and a lot of reliance on on sort of um, moment players like Mitrovic, uh, Cavaliero, who can pull something out of the bag. Um, <clears throat> any is is that simply the case of, of Scott Parker just being an an ingenue and not and not really knowing what he's doing?
2: Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit of him saying, "Stop passing." So maybe he doesn't have that authority yet. There's definitely a bit of overplaying mm. with Fulham, and there's sort of passing for passing's sake, and but that could be from from us it looks like it's sort of wasteful and they could be more direct but it could also be just have their game plan just keep tiring teams out and we know that Mitrovic only needs three touches in the box every game for him to get a goal it's it mm. it, it sounds flippant to say that they um they just overpass and they overplay and it's not really going anywhere but if you can get the ball to him in the box and he's finishing one out of sort of two shots every game or three shots he that's a, that's a weapon in itself, isn't it? What what would be interesting as well? Cavalero, obviously cutting in from the left, and knockout potentially on the right, or camera, whoever they bring in. Without these are some, something I'm quite interested to see, and would be really good to get this when we when football does finish. We look at these nine games in isolation for each team. Whether some of the whether some of the ball striking just improves, I'm I'm quite keen to see how this happens. Whether yeah. whether that is the case, I think if you if you think of these matches as training matches without fans there. A lot of what these players are doing training is cutting in from these corners, striking from range, bending shots in. They'll obviously work on their tighter stuff where they are trying to get right outs in front of goal and scoring, but just clean striking from the edge of the box and we know Cavallero likes to do that. We know knockhart likes to do that. The Brentford players like to do that. It could be that these players just sort of tear the tear the nine last nine games up as they as they get to line shots up and there's less distraction for them. So it it could be that Fulham's game plan is enhanced in this loss. You know, what they've what they've struggled with prior, with sort of the patient build up, they actually do get the ball to the edge of the box and they're just curling shots in and uh and Cavallero and Co. make it look quite easy. I I hope that does I hope that isn't the case for them, but it
1: could be. Well, let's move on then because I think we've covered the the automatic promotion uh, race there, but the impression I'm getting from you is is that you're pretty certain it'll be leeds or West Brom but there's there is a chance that either Fulham or Brentford could could sneak in there um in terms of the playoff p- places then um you've already mentioned that you've already mentioned that you you're pretty certain that it's it's as set as it's going to be um although I should note that at Preston are in sixth place, so on the cusp of the playoffs, or on the cusp of falling out of the playoffs, I should say. Uh, they have 56 points, and then Bristol City have 55. So it, it is very, very close. And you mentioned QPR and as well and they're down in 13th place and they we've already said they've got a chance of maybe putting a good run together and getting in at six points behind so it's very very close the the race for for uh, playoffs let's talk about Nottingham Forest because I think Nottingham Forest are an interesting team Um there was a piece that came out in Sky Sports recently where their pundits said that they thought that Sabri Lamrishi was the manager of the season um, at Forest <laughs> this season which Seemed a little bit of a bold call for me, um, but and a lot of the time they they seem to be just suggesting that. Um, because because Leeds and West Brom should obviously have been up there. You can't really give the, the manager of the season to those managers, which seems a, a, maybe a bit, a, a bit of a bizarre take on how manager of the season competition should work. But that's another thing entirely. But there is, I think there's a suggestion from a lot of people that you know Forrest have, have been unlucky to not have been challenging for automatic promotion, which I just don't think is the case whatsoever. We've already mentioned that Forrest is sort of a uh, quite uh, defensive team, like, like to hit people on the counter-attack, like to keep things solid at the back patient and then and then um, just sort of uh, explode out of the blocks with players like joe lolly um and and lewis Graben as well what what's your take on on Lamushi's nottingham forest
2: not bowled over by them at all uh yeah i think they've been they've, they've ridden their luck a lot haven't they throughout this season they're not they're not a good team in possession they've got that sort of double pivot as well with watson sat there with withsambaau i don't see much about them at all i, I let's yeah probably maybe we need to give them a bit more credit in as defensively like what they are doing over long periods in games does probably deserve a bit more respect and they they know how to counter-attack on teams and they've got Amiobi out on the wide flank and uh, Lolly on another flank mm. and you you stay solid and compact and wait for Watson or Sal to to sort of bite and win the ball back and you turn it over and you, you find those players and so maybe there is more to this than we think but for it what I find an issue with is how much it's worked and how much it's actually come off for them like you wouldn't expect you wouldn't expect that sort of game plan or that that tactic to actually push you on to winning a league. You wouldn't really expect many playoff teams to play like that over long periods, but the fact they're right in the mix is. Maybe that's skill in itself, but um, it doesn't impress me. And talk of him being manager of the season, I mean, uh, yeah, I find that that a waste of an award, personally.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting, a few things you say there. I mean, the first one is that when Leeds played, um Forest in the first game in the first half of the season we just got taken apart by Sami Amiobi. Um I mean well I say we got taken apart but, but you know he had he had two good runs into the box one of which caused a goal and um or caused a corner that led to a goal and it was sort of like smashing grab. Um they did the same thing in the second half of the season as well although Leeds were pretty poor on that day. Um but I mean that again that was part of their game plan it was to disrupt Leeds uh, make them make them struggle and that was during Leeds's um wobble as well so so that was um, obviously all 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 in in hand there uh, interesting that you mentioned the double pivot of of watson and samba it seems like there's so many it seems like to me anyway there's so and maybe this is just by dint of the fact that we're both used to watching Leeds and Brentford respectively um, of, a, of a weekend but there's so many teams I think of in in the championship where they just have a, a stodgy double pivot that is just sits so deep it, there's no ambition whatsoever to get to, to get forward I think of um, Steve Cooper's Swansea as well as similar in this regard um, and I, I again I guess it maybe it comes back to what I was saying before about you know stodgy teams just sort of seeming to benefit from from their lack of ambition um but forest certainly fit, fill me with that sort of um uh, sense of emotional dread when it comes to like watching <laughs> one of their games where you know that they are going to try and find outlets in lolly and, and amiobi um they'll use matty cash's pace and try and get down there and get something into Grabben, but um just there, just seems to be a lot, and 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 maybe this comes down to the, then the notion of transition because it feels as though there's there's not many teams in the championship who really transition well, um, both from attack to defence and defence to attack. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, especially with respect to Forest.
2: Yeah, Forest, uh, they're just that archetypal team that you're saying, just bank of four, two in front of those bring everyone back and sort of like a, it turns into a four, five one leave grabbing mm. alone on his own isolated and he can sort of run channels and do stuff. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great to watch and I'd hate it. I'd hate to actually watch it or be a paying punter watching that over a season, but it's got them. It's got them to where they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just going back to Amiobi, if you've got that kind of outlet, he's just as a, he's a freak of a man that he's huge. Um, he's really strong. He's got really sort of deceptively good feet as well. Mm -hmm. He's actually quite skillful on the ball. So he's got great, great control. And um, I I saw him punish you guys, but he also punished Brentford when we played them. They pinned him on Rico Henry, our smallest player at left back. And he just sat there and Mm -hmm. every time they did win the ball or sort of tried to get forward, it was just chipped out to him, to his chest. And before you know it, they're, they're springing an attack and, because he is so good at holding up before yeah they've gone from a defensive situation to an attacking situation in a couple of seconds Graben's mm-hmm. joining in you've got lolly on the other side it maybe we're probably being a bit harsh on them it doesn't look good over long periods but when they do create these chances they're they're making they're making sort of more of these situations they do make a lot of them and uh, yeah maybe maybe they do deserve more credit but over a 90 minutes it's not pretty it's not pretty at all
1: I wonder what you think of their chances in the playoffs. Should the should they end up in the playoff places? Because I mean, it, it, it's within living memory that that Huddersfield team went up that were very very stodgy and had a negative goal difference. You know, classic David Wagner. Um, do you think that that Forest could actually benefit from from going into the playoffs and and actually just being like very very stodgy? I mean, I, I guess if the if the playoff stays as it is, you've got. We've got Fulham, Brentford, Forest, and, and Preston. Um, I would say three of those teams are pretty, pretty dodgy. Um, so, so maybe they'll maybe they'll lose their edge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wonder what you thought of, of of just a team like Forest, who, in terms of playoff football, where you know they are the, I think of those, well, Preston as well, but of those four teams, they're the two, they're the two teams who are going to sit deep and try and hit on the counter attack. Do you think that's going to be the way forward in the in the playoff places?
2: Yeah, it's quite interesting actually. I think playoff football before coronavirus is probably different to playoff football now. I think if we think mm-hmm. about if we think about defensive teams and having to defend in the matches with fans and sort of the clock running down as normal, I think you can probably get away with it, but I'm not sure you can defend the way they defended prior to this break and how football is going to be going forwards in the same sorts of ways. So I I'd I think possession heavy teams are going to get more dominance. and I think teams who counterattacked and sort of did rely on being defensively solid are actually going to struggle more now. I, the ball's going to be in play more other teams the teams who are intricate will they'll find more chances the, the game is going to probably go towards towards systems and tactics instead of actually trying to stop the opposition and I, I can't see how I'd be very surprised if they went through the playoffs pulling off what they did being defensively solid in the same way I, if if the playoffs were as normal and it was sort of Wembley and it was 80,000 oh. I, I think it may work but I, I don't see that game plan being as effective now I think, I think that edge may have been gone
1: So does that mean that Brentford are the favourites in the playoffs? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> well you said that but I I don't know I think I think it'd be between us and Fulham I think if you're looking at the squads and strength on the ball and what they can do to punish other teams I think it's probably between Brentford and Fulham yeah I'd be reluctant to say that Forest are strongest and I I, I wouldn't fear playing Forest in the playoffs nowhere it's not a daunting prospect I think we're a much better team than them and the games are probably going to go towards a style that would suit us more than them so yeah between Fulham and Brentford for me.
1: Okay, so you've got the option then of Forrest or Preston as opponents in the playoff. We've not talked about Preston yet, but which one of those two would you prefer?
2: I think psychologically probably Preston. I think we have we've lost twice to Fulham. Uh, sorry, we've lost twice to Forest this season. And that may have some kind of psychological barrier, but it also might be that they're so determined to actually reverse this and get and uh, get one back over those mm. guys and sort of play out Play out some of those demons and get some revenge. But Preston are a tricky side; they're um, they're quite a hard team to read. They're, they've got an experienced manager. They've got good players on the counter attack as well themselves, and they they can defend. I think it will be more of a purer game with Preston. Um, and if the game is like that, if it is open, and if it does become a shootout, we should have enough for to sort of see them off. I mean, the stuff I was saying about Forest being that defensive side, that defensive side of the game sort of being weaker and whether it whether you do lose your edge because the game will be longer, they'll be, the game will be in play more. That's that's a logical assessment, I think. But it might not be that. It might be the other way. It might be defensive teams are super strong and they, they can control these games and see these games out. But I don't think it's going to be like that. But if I could choose out of the two, I think it would be Preston.
1: Right, well, let's talk a little bit about Preston um, because I think you know they've gone under the radar a little bit, perhaps this season. Um, again, it's another another team. where you know you know what to expect. They're going to be very, very hard to break down. They're going to sit sit deep. Um, ben Pearson is going to kick you. <laughs> just just looking through their lineup now, um, and there's there's just very <laughs> there's just very few players in that team that really excite me but i think that's again testament to that's testament to the to what it is that um, alex neal has done there um i guess what what do you say what do you say about um about press that's really it sounds harsh to say but um what what do you say about preston that is that is interesting
2: Wow, that's uh, you put me on a the spot there. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, interesting. Johnson's uh Johnson's quite an interesting player for them. He's left footed, he he's good at ghosting into the box and probably connects midfield and attack. Is is he's quite probably underrated at what he does there. L- lots of penalties in his goals, but there's also this sort of late running into the box which is can be hard to pick up. He tends to play well against Brentford as well. He's a kind of floaty player that we struggle to pick up or have done in the past. They they signed Scott Sinclair, didn't they? Before the end, I don't know if his contract's been extended, so he does play out the rest of the season. That's a that's a wide addition. Lots of pace on the uh, sort of pace and skill coming in from wide, which could be he could be late coming into the box with shots from um, the other side as well. They made a couple of attacking tweaks. I mean, they're not they're not a team that's going to give away loads of goals, and there's a they're quite a hard team to read, like that, aren't they? They've got. Barkhausen who's um he's sort of good for a goal effective. Yeah, they they're just yeah. they're just highly functional but diff- not in the same way that Forest are. They're, there's more about them than Forest.
1: They're doing more with less than Forest, I think.
2: Um there's more inventiveness about them than the Forest side and Yeah. There's a little bit more craft. A bit
1: more maybe set piece as well than Forest with with Paul Gallagher on the team. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's re- it's remarkable that Alex Neal has got a press, this Preston North End side near playoffs. I think it's it's a remarkable achievement, and, I, and maybe I sounded a little bit dismissive before. Um, but yeah, it's it's um it's it's one of those things where you know you you occasionally get this sort of thing happening in the championship where you just get a team that's that's really really well put together um with 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 what's available to a manager and um it would be it would be nice to see them finishing off the the, the season strongly because i think they've certainly deserved a place in the playoffs um from from what i've seen uh, right so beyond that then let's just have a little look at the the teams immediately below them so we've talked about bristol city already in terms of the fact that they're like hugely overperforming their their um their expected goals f- um totals now um I, I doubt there'll be many people listening to this podcast who aren't um uh, at least sympathetic to the idea of xg so um but apart from them you've got then millwall uh, cardiff city Blackburn rovers swansea and derby um and then down to qpr um you mentioned millwall i think mill, let, let's talk bristol city first since since i've already mentioned them but um lee johnson at bristol city what do we make of 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 them um I think it's easy for Leeds fans to be dismissive of Bristol City because we all seem to sort of do them over um so so maybe it's easier for us to say but um what do you what do you make of of bristol city
2: uh yeah we we touched on it earlier on biggest overachievers in the division they're a strange side bristol city i i, I don't like them defensively I don't think they're great in attack uh they're they're just one of these teams <laughs> <laughs> they're just one of these teams that have sort of ridden sort of well momentum's a really weird word but they kind of have They're mm. they're not they're not a functional side I, I don't think they do either of those things really well they, they've they just sort of got results at good times and found themselves in playoff hunt um probably mm. says more about the sort of the not the mediocrity of the league but how the average of the league and um there's a few sort of teams that are elite and look sort of like premier league ready and there's a, quite a few of them that are championship level and Bristol City have probably beaten those and done well in sort of a couple of good matches. But yeah, they bought Brentford's goalkeepers, Daniel Bentley, last season. He's a keeper that was just sort of so error prone and quite a liability. He, When he first came, he was he was sort of good and sort of came onto the scene really sort of strongly and came up from the lower leagues and did well. But his game just completely fell away. And um, there's been a couple of sort of highlight saves from him that get bounded mm. around, but technically he's an awful goalkeeper and if you're <laughs> if you've got him at the back, it's sort of your back line um and then you've got uh, sort of williams in front of him, and it's it's not it's not a reliable back line uh, williams played far too much football for my liking he's sort of not <laughs> not a great defender and um showing his age a little bit getting into so many situations that he shouldn't know and sort of a bit of a hothead as well and they probably have suffered a little bit from not having Jade De Silva as young left back uh, I think they signed him officially now from Chelsea I think he belongs to them now but mm. if he'd have been fit for this entire season we might have seen a bit more from them and they could have probably pushed on a little bit further Mm. Been up the they put in
1: Philip Benkovic as well from Leicester on loan, haven't they? So I guess that could solid up them solid them up at the back um, With if you, ha- if you have Kallis and ben- Benkovic then you don't need to play Ashley Williams. Uh, and then I guess going forward, Niklas Eliasson is an interesting uh, player from a stats point of view because yeah. he's always up there in the ex- ex- expected assists tables. Um, he's quite a creative player, basically a crossing machine, isn't he? So um, you, you'd expect... Um, with with a player like Eliasson and, and then you've got Naki Wells and, and Famara De Jju up front. I guess between those those two, that's where they're getting a lot of their, their goals from. So again, very functional attack if you've got these sorts of players. Andreas Watt-Viman, I'm quite a, a big fan of, but maybe that's just because you know, sort of romantic remembrance to sort of Villa being in the Premier League, and <laughs> and, and him just being a sort of a, a bit of a terrier of a player, and, and I, I quite like players like him who just sort of make things happen through sheer force of will. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so you saying that you reckon there's there's maybe a ch- chance that um you could see Bristol City maybe pulling off a, a playoff place and um. Preston, I suppose, falling out.
2: Yeah, it's between yeah those little last couple of sides. I, I don't think I don't think Bristol will put the results together. Personally, I, I think they'll struggle. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that they can continue what they did the first half of the season into this little mini season. I I think it will just come against them. But what what another interesting player for them actually is Corey Smith. He's a centre midfielder who's been out for absolutely ages, and he's he's a player that I'm quite fond of. He's a really talented. Quite a baller on the ball that can do a lot of stuff that Calvin Phillips does, like getting the ball forward, and has got a bit of tenacity as well. To and he might improve them. And they they played three at the back for a while as well. And I think now that Phillips, uh, sorry, now that Corey Smith's back, they might flex back into more of a four at the back and then four three three in that kind of shape to start with. So we could see a change there. But he he might be key. Like he's he's another very good player which they've which they probably missed this season. So until we get a couple of games in, it's going to be really hard to probably judge these sides. But yeah, I think Bristol, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back Bristol to, to make the playoffs personally. I'd be, I'd be backing them to, to miss out.
1: Millwall, I think we should talk about it, Cause I think Millwall are an interesting team now that they've got Gary Rowett, um, who I think is a very good manager. Um, and I think it's clear that since he's come in, Millwall are uh, a lot more interesting. Obviously he's a manager who's come in and realized that if you build a team around Jed Wallace, then you'll probably get results. Um <laughs> So yeah, what's your what's your thinking on Rowett's Millwall?
2: Yeah, there's a bit of an evolution on there. It hasn't taken long. I, I think Rowett's a manager that's been away and really assessed what he's been doing, what where he's going and probably gets a little bit of flack for some of his really awful derby teams that I remember we played them and they had sort of like I think they there was a game we played them and they had sort of like twenty percent possession. And uh <laughs> they got came away with a win. It was it wasn't pretty and I think he still lives off some of the back of that stuff. And then Stoke went Really wrong with him too. So he's probably gone away and really assessed what what he wants out of football, and probably realised that he was too defensive and he needs to expand. And Millwall have got some they've got some okay attacking players, and it doesn't it doesn't look like he's he's afraid to sort of go forward more with this side. They're already more expansive than they were under um, Neil Harris. Uh, Harris, sorry, Neil Harris that left. They look a far better team. Yeah, yeah, they're utilising Wallace more. Wallace is further up the pitch. Uh, I think he's done a good job there, and I, I, I'd keep an eye on them. Yeah, uh,
1: and then beyond them, it's sort of teams like like Cardiff and um Rovers and Swansea and Derby, who I guess plausibly could put a good run together in and, and uh, put a good run together and then get into the top six in some way. Is, is any do any of those teams stand out to you in particular?
2: <laughs> Swansea have got some talent there that could put a run together. I think they've got uh their first few fixtures in this little mini season look quite good for them but with Swansea you kind of I'm not sure that it might catch up on them and then when the games sort of start to level off they they fall back and they don't put a run together but yeah I'm I'm, they're they're another one to keep an eye on to be honest Swansea and QPR just on those outside positions I'd keep an eye on those putting a run together and Mm there's so many teams between them and uh them and those positions the playoff positions it's just hard to see any of them being consistent enough to do this it's yeah we'll need to wait for those first couple of games
1: Well I think that brings us to the end of of this podcast episode but David it's always a pleasure to chat to you thank you for coming on I'm really interested in in hearing your thoughts as always Uh, if people want to follow you or read your stuff how should they go about doing that?
2: Yeah thanks for having me Uh, I am davidanderson1 on Twitter Um, yeah just hit me up on there for Brentford chat and um, yeah just general football chat in in general I guess.
1: Yeah, and I won't put you on the spot by asking for predictions because I just never think that sort of stuff is useful anyway. <laughs> and no one, no one ever wants to do it. Um, so so I'll leave it at that. But good luck for the rest of the season. I certainly would like to see Brentford going up. Um, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's more than the, just me as a Leeds fan who wants that to be the case. So uh, good luck um, for the rest of the season. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's uh, good fun for you.
2: Yeah, same to you guys. Good luck and uh, yeah, hope to see you in the Premier League next year.
1: Just a bit of housekeeping for the listeners. Um, we've had a lot of content out this week. We've got a weekly episode out. Um, we've also just put up a Patreon episode with Josh Hobbs talking to Graham Smith of the Yorkshire Evening Post about his um, his scouting series about searching for Pablo's successor. Um, if you are, in- are interested in that, do sign up to our Patreon. Um, we do you have a fairly large outlay of our money that goes towards paying for data so that we can produce the content that we create. So um, any help that you can send us is, is um, really quite helpful. Um, in terms of next week's schedule, we're going to have two episodes next week. I think we're going to break down the response to the Cardiff game and the um, and the predi- the predictions or the the preview for the for the blah, 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 Fulham game um, uh, over on Monday and Wednesday so we will see you then um, uh, and until then enjoy the football on Sunday and we will be back soon.